Hello, and welcome to KPMG's Global Pulse of Fintech podcast series, where we connect with fintech leaders and entrepreneurs, pioneering new innovations and driving growth in the financial services sector. I'm Perdita Avery, your host, and today I'm joined by KPMG's Anton Ruddenclaw, who recently sat down with Paul Taylor, founder and CEO of Thought Machine, to discuss how Thought Machine, a newly named unicorn, is helping banks move beyond legacy infrastructure to bring core banking systems to the cloud. Anton, over to you. Hi. My name's Anton Ruddenclaw. I co-lead our fintech practice globally, and I run our FS business in Singapore, Southeast Asia. So, okay, let's start off. Thanks, Paul, for making the time to talk with us around Thought Machine. Probably a little bit of background on you for a start would be really helpful for the people that are listening to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. I'm Paul Taylor. I'm founder and CEO of Thought Machine. Thought Machine was founded in 2014 and I've been the CEO ever since. But before then, I had a very different career. I did not work in banking. I did not work in financial services. My career before then was in speech technology and machine learning. And I did that for quite a long time. I was an academic. I was an entrepreneur in that. And then just a few years before Thought Machine, I worked in Google and built the text speech system Google. So I know um, you maybe tell me in the past, you kind of had this epiphany moment when you went into one of the banks and that kind of set you off on the Thought Machine vision. Can you talk me through what that was and what really crystallized your thinking around starting up a core banking platform provider? Because in 2014, that wasn't sexy at all. We were thinking mostly of doing some sort of big data, data science, AI play on banking. And as you know, that's a very vibrant market and a lot of people doing a lot of good things. But we realized just how difficult it was to get any data out of a bank. And so we went to talk to one of the big banks and we said, just give us your streaming APIs. We'll take the data. We'll do this. No, it can't be done. And after an incredible level of effort, they managed to get us some data out of the bank. And I said, this is crazy. And talking to other B2B fintech people, they were always going the same route. The bank loves what we do. We've got a cool piece of tech. It fixes an identifiable problem, but they cannot get it to work with their current infrastructure. I didn't even know what a core banking engine was at that time. But they said, yeah, yeah, lovely, but the core banking engine will never do it. Uh, core bank, yeah, it's too difficult, the core banking engine. So we dug into this. And I could not believe that these banks were still running and that these mainframes and still got COBOL and still got undocumented code and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought there has to be a better way. So I thought, right, let's build a core banking engine uh, from scratch. Let's build it in the cloud. Let's build it to be super flexible. Let's build it to have APIs and let's build it to solve all these problems. And that was where we started. So I knew what the problem was rather before I kind of figured out what we were actually going to build. Yeah, yeah. And tell us a bit about the build, because I know you built it to be industrial, and I think you learned a bit along the way as to what you'd built, what expectations were in the market, and probably stands you in good stead these days, doesn't it? When I was at Google, I really, really learned how to do cloud computing. And several of my early joiners were also at Google, uh, and, and we just knew how to build. The way the banks did it was buy very expensive hardware and hope it doesn't go wrong. Whereas the way the cloud works is by relatively off the shelf software and hardware, but assume it does go wrong, but be very, very good at recovery. Then so we do all the things that all the best cloud providers do. But once you take that as your starting point, rather than uh, something to be progressed to, it just solves a lot of those problems. And that lets you concentrate much more on the design and the functionality of the system. And as your approach changed over the last seven years, I know that you know, you've got a number of marquee clients now. Is it still very much the old thought machine or what have you learned along the way? 
Oh, well, there's a lot in that. Yeah, we do have a lot of marquee clients. I'm happy to say we just announced ING as another top tier bank, as you well know, one of the leading banks in the world. So we're very happy to add that to JP Morgan Chase and Lloyd's and many, many others. But uh, the second part of your question, I'd say that the core culture of the company is still the same. The way in which we interact, the way in which we solve problems, we're a first principles sort of company. We believe in really open debate. We believe in it being super meritocratic. We believe in having the, the top, top talent. We've got a very uh, strong sense of humor and we enjoy socializing together uh, as well. And it's got an open, transparent quality. And, and today, as we as we near 500 people, it's still like that. And people still you know, have a smile on the face on the work that they enjoyed, the challenging, hard nature of the work. And we've learned huge amounts about how to build really excellent banks and how banks require all the correct levers and how product construction works and how to do data and, and how to link to various bits of the bank and how to do risk and compliance and be security and all these things. But the core hypothesis hasn't changed at all, which is banks cannot keep going on the mainframes and the legacy architectures. We have to change. And our view of that is very strong these days. But what's changed is that a lot of banks agree with us. You've got two parts to your sales process. You've got the, the, the startup fintech you talked about, the new digital banks, and then you've got those banks that need to replace the old broken hardware from 1965 or whatever. On the latter one, you mentioned the banks are getting it now. So do you see, you know, going forward an avalanche of large tier one, tier two banks sitting at your doorstep saying, right, we, we need to get rid of this stuff, help us? Or is the, the kind of the new digital bank startup store your bread and butter? It, we actually split the market into three. Uh, so okay. we split it into the large tier one, tier twos, uh, which you know are, there's, there's a couple of hundred in the world, but they're very big. And then there's the fintechs and the challenger banks, who there's many, many more. But then there's what we call the middle market as well, which are, you know, all, all the kind of the, the huge number of, you know, quotes, normal banks in the world. So our customer pipeline and market is very focused on on the first on the, the large banks and the fintechs, right? So it's, perhaps it's 50-50 in, in terms of number of institutions we sell to. And then the middle market takes it a little longer because they don't have the R&D budgets of the top banks. And quite rightly, they want to do something just tried and tested before they go. But of course, with the big banks then deploying it, that then that gives them very, very valid proof points in the market. Yeah, and you, you mentioned JP Morgan earlier on, and you went public with your announcement on support there. I don't think we need to go into the deal if you, if you don't want to, but how has that changed the perception of Thought Machine in the market? Because that must have been a pivotal point for you, at least, and uh, saying right now we've got a big firm that believes in Thought Machine and, and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, you are correct. So mostly we're working with the Chase part of, uh, of JP Morgan Chase, and we've been working with them for a number of years and very, very uh, engaged at a technical level and a strategic level and working through every part of the product and every part of all the propositions that, that they would want. And they really tried it out before they bought. And then they said they wanted to invest, which was, uh, which was really good as well. And then, you know, eventually those conversations became more and more concrete and, you know, there was a deal and then we signed the deal. But uh, what's wonderful is their level of commitment to it. You know, they're not just buying it as some sort of, you know, uh, little thing in the corner to have a look at. They're very, very deeply committed. And um, they are a very successful bank commercially, but they're also the type of bank that nearly every other bank, bank or banker I know respects deeply. They've got excellent leadership in Jamie Diamond, but uh, a huge part of our business and what banks want is confidence. 
and confidence comes uh, a partner confidence is of course they're doing their own proof of concepts and due diligence but another part of it is looking to peers and saying that they endorse it too it's not realistic for every bank to test every part of a product every time it, it you know that, that that's just too much of a burden on, on on the purchaser but to see other institutions which they admire uh, buying it and being successful with it is a really important part and off the back to JP, where are your big growth markets going forward? Obviously, I'm based in Singapore. I know you've got a very active team down there in, in Asia. But is, is the, the the big future the Americas and the tier three banks there, or you got rich pickings elsewhere? It's a very good question. And for the first uh, what five years of our existence, we were purely a London company. And then we went to Singapore in the mid middle of 2019 and we opened an office there. We appointed Nick Wilde as general manager of Asia Pacific. And uh, so we've got about 70 people in Singapore um, in sales and in marketing and, and in client services doing the deployments. And, and we're selling all over Asia Pacific. We've got clients in Hong Kong, clients in India, uh, clients in Australia. In May this year, we opened in New York. And so Thought Machine Americas was born. We hired uh, Brad Steele to be the general manager of North America, and, and it's a very similar story of success. We've now got 20 people over there, hired all in the last six months under various lockdown conditions. But as to your question as to where the market concentration lies, um, we are pretty equal in across the regions. Now, the technology works basically the same everywhere. We have particular configurations to make sure that it works in particular markets and obeys the particular local regulations and things like that. But it, it is essentially the same platform. So it's got nothing to do with the product per se. But as you know, the, the, the each country's got its own banking market, its own peculiarities. But that is a less important trend than the fact that all tier one banks talk to one another, have a fairly similar mindset and have a fairly similar desire to do something fundamental and, and move off the legacy. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me a bit about talent, because I know you know, going back maybe a couple of years ago, you were talking around the the dearth of sales talent that you could find to actually, you know, carry the thought machine story and do well. Obviously, you've done well now. You've obviously created your own. But um, how has talent worked for you over the last five, seven years as you've acquired, got bigger? Um, what surprised you? What's got you more satisfied that you had the right story all along? Yeah, so um, we spent a lot of time at Thought Machine on the issue of talent. So the first thing is, after working at Google, I, I experienced a large company that had a phenomenal level of talent. Mm. I thought, right, it, it, this makes everything better. And to be honest, you can do a lot more with fewer people if, if you if you can get to the top of the talent pool, right? So, 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 so what what is required to do that? Well, firstly, we weren't shy about paying well, and we weren't shy about giving people options in the company. Uh, and secondly, people want especially in financial services, uh, I think too many people are a bit fed up with being in a bit of a backwater when it comes to the tech and stuff like that. So we wanted to create a really challenging environment where people were realized that we had an audacious goal and that this is something that we really capture. And, it, and that naturally appeals to the high flyers and the, and the more ambitious people. So there's nobody who joins Thought Machine just to have an easy life and put their feet up. That's that, that's that's not the type of people we are. And then thirdly, we, we spend a lot of time on the soft side of things, uh, culture, and just being a really pleasant place to work. So all those things were there, but we hired a really excellent recruiting team early on. And, uh, and so we built up a good head of steam on, on engineering talent. So we got really good engineers in. Uh, and that was good uh, that, and that dominated the hiring for the first three or four years but but of course the, that's just an engineering team it's not a company 
And uh, it was harder than the other disciplines, uh, but we got there and we've got an absolutely fantastic team now in client services who have got domain expertise in banks and really good at deploying it and speak the language of banks and can kind of bridge that divide. And then uh, and then salespeople again, you know, when we started out, that was always tough, but eventually you crack it. And once you crack it, you get there. And of course now it's, it's far easier to recruit salespeople because the sales themselves are snowballing. So they are joining a machine that is working and their job is to make it work faster which is a considerably different job than getting the first few salespeople in, which is when we haven't sold anything and uh, to convince the first bank uh, uh, to go and buy it. And that's a particularly tough one. Moving away from sales, product uh, and product management, your product roadmap, um, how is that looking to develop and, and change over the, the next sort of you know two, three years? Because you've got you know, your basic platform, but I, I suppose you can do plenty of things with that. So where do you see that heading yeah so i'll say it this way the, the the product today works fine and is going live with banks and can work out of the box and there's there's nothing wrong with that but even though we're selling to big banks what we're mostly got today is something that is just uh, you know a normal bank that is written very very well and uh, you know highly performant but what we're interested in is to run all of the bank and to do all of the bank, you need to be able to run tens of thousands of products. You need to be able to operate in multiple, for example, have multiple regulators and multiple jurisdictions and multiple currencies and all still be coherent. And you need to have super levels of resilience. So the product's very resilient as it is, but it needs to have the best resilience of any product in the world. And that means running over multiple data centers in multiple countries all simultaneously. Uh, and uh, and then you need to have it at uh, super scale levels of, of performance. And so those are a lot of the features we're building in. So you've just been through Series C. You're a so-called unicorn now. So congratulations. Uh, obviously, your vision will be much more than just being a unicorn. But what, what did the fundraising process sort of teach you about Thought Machine? And what are your observations on how you built your consortium? Uh, yeah. So So the way it works is, at some stage, a new investor says, I would like to invest and here's the terms. And then you you either you negotiate to a point of success or you say, uh, you say no, thank you. And then you might have a, 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 some more new investors. And then, but all the existing investors uh, typically up their stake as well to maintain their level of investment. So I think we had four new investors at the Series C and then, you know, maybe 15 of the existing investors carry on and of course that's a very nice vote of confidence and nike partners uh led by hans morris uh they were the first to go so they made us an offer um we were very keen to have uh, three of the big banks standard chartered uh, jp morgan chase and ing uh, all invested and of course it really really kind of cements the relationship to have our biggest clients invest in the company too mm. yeah some, yeah you say some good names in there and it's great to see your clients investing in you um now, but by being a unicorn, you're probably nowhere near the vision that you have for the business seven years ago. So where is the gap and and, and we, how do you see that gap being filled over the next few years? Because I'm, I'm sure you're impatient for more. Uh, yeah, I mean, the goal is not to get uh, the, the valuation of the company is, is a consequence of, of success. The thing yeah. that I the thing that most motivates me and most motivates most of my colleagues is to build a really, really excellent company and then the when you've got an excellent company an excellent product is the natural result for that and, and i personally love running the company and love getting all these things working in together and is your plan to purely remain organic and stick to your knitting or 
you anticipate over time you might even make a few acquisitions and you know build your so-called bank as a service or whatever it might be yeah we don't have anything planned but of course all bigger companies you know as you grow um you can't invent everything so i think in time we will buy things um but if we do do it i think it'd be more like tactical acquisitions of smallish companies who've got one thing that's really really good and folded into the product line what our clients say about the thought machine products is is the design is really excellent it's very simple to use it's very powerful and they can get done what they want to do so if something was added it would be kind of rewritten and made to blend into the portfolio such that we've got you know genuinely proper working product range and not just a collection of stuff um you know it's it's a we don't want to be a financial services supermarket so to speak yeah, that, that makes sense. So capability and talent more than anything with your acquisitions, potentially. Um, okay, um, listen, I think, um, Paul, that's been really helpful for, for me. Is there anything that you specifically want to say that that, that we've missed or I've missed in the, in the session that you'd like to get across? Um, I guess I would just close by saying, I think for all of us, it's a, you know, it's a really wonderful time. I mean, fr from the cloud and new architectures kind of being this, this kind of quirky thing on the side, it's becoming a central conversation for lots of the banks. And it's just, to me, you can see that the value add in the banks, that they, you know, as it goes on and as it builds out, they really do believe they've done something good that really is going to make a difference. And I think that is a fantastic win and a worthwhile goal for us all. So I'd say we've got a lot, lot further to go, but it is really great we've managed to get this far. And, uh, and you know, it, it's great to all the banks and all the partners that have, that have uh, joined us on the way. Thanks, Paul. It's been really helpful. Thank you. That was Paul Taylor, founder and CEO of Thought Machine, in conversation with KPMG's global head of fintech, Anton Ruddenclaw. Join us again soon for more insights from fintech leaders and innovators. You can also stay up to date with KPMG's Pulse of Fintech report, covering global deal trends across the industry. Visit home.kpmg slash fintechpulse.